What is up, everybody? Welcome to the DNVR Nuggets podcast, notebook edition, solo edition. I'm Adam Mades, and actually an ad-free solo edition, because we don't have to do any ads today. We're just going to kind of go mow right through this and maybe make it a little bit of a quicker one, because game one of the Western Conference Finals, I think, was an extremely frustrating one for Denver Nuggets fans, and for really good reason. Getting through it a second time was maybe worse than the first time, to be honest with you. Like, all that blood pressure uh, rose again, you know, um, all the anxiety, all the frustration about what I thought was, you know, a pretty ugly and unfairly called game really the second time through I thought felt more or less the exact same but I don't want to focus too much on that there's one one aspect of that I do want to focus in on a little bit but it's not you know I don't I don't want this just to be about you know talking about the officials or this or that so I I want to mention one sort of thing about the fouls that I think the Lakers are being very smart about and how they're drawing some of these. But mostly I want to just talk about the actual basketball, the X's and O's and, and some of the things that stood out. This is gonna there's gonna be a companion piece to this, the list up on the DNVR for DNVR members, video breakdown that includes a lot of stuff you're gonna to want to see because it really is gonna highlight some of the key things. We didn't get 48 minutes of like good film and like okay, this stuff. It was really only about, I would say the first quarter, the first half or two-thirds of the third quarter. And then that second quarter was just so much fouls and free throws that there was a little things you can mine from that. But um, all of that to say, I think that game two is going to go differently. Um, not necessarily in result. I just think there's going to be a lot more to kind of draw from. And I don't know that it's going to be just a free throw contest in the second quarter. So, um it feels in many ways like the Clippers series in that that first game was almost a throwaway. It sucks because, you know, you start 0-1. But I think that there's going to be a lot more revealed about this series in game two. But number one, Lakers did not help off of Jokic in the post. The Nuggets often, especially when they're going up in a game like this, will, will go to one of their base actions early just to kind of get the data points of, okay, how are they going to guard this? And it was clear from the start when there's a big on Jokic in the post, which is most of the time they aren't going to help out. They're going to trust JaVale McGee in this instance to start out, Dwight Howard some of the time, Anthony Davis. They're going to trust those guys to be able to guard Jokic in the post one-on-one. And it's not a bad idea. Um, Jokic had a phenomenal first quarter, but I, I think if I were the Lakers, I would make much the same decision. The other tactical decision that they made in this game was that they were going to switch every pick and roll and dribble handoff involving Jokic and I think one of the reasons that they wanted to do this is that Jokic has been on fire in the playoffs from the three-point line and I think you know teams always look at if we take away the most deadly thing what happens you know can we even if we give up some of the other stuff is that okay and I think the Lakers are very concerned with Jokic sort of stretching the court for those picks and pops forcing guards to kind of work over the screens so what they've done is they they've they haven't just switched those outright but if it, if there's any resistance at all from Murray and Jokic that forced them into you know being out of position, they just switch it, and that way the guard is up on Jokic as he plays up at the top. So um, I have on, up on the list. I have like 12 examples of this because I want everybody to see all the little different options Denver has when a team does that and how it affects the rotations beside behind it defensively. Um, and I thought the Nuggets did, given that. I don't know that the Nuggets knew this was going to be their defensive game plan. I thought the Nuggets handled it very, very well. And when I say the Nuggets, I mean Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic handled it very, very well in that um, opening quarter, making the right reads, kind of adjusting on the fly to what they were doing and reading the court extremely well. There's a reason that both guys had it going early. Denver had a lead at the end of the first quarter, and both Murray and Jokic both had good, solid quarters. So, um 
it's interesting the Lakers are going to do that. I understand why, but I thought Denver both did some things in the first game and then will likely make a few tweaks going forward that will open things up even more for them. Um, typically, you know, um, Denver likes those switches often because, you know, if you're going to have a little guy on Jokic, Jokic is going to go down to the post and dominate him. Or if you're going to give Jokic a big guy to step out of him. Now, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, and JaVale McGee aren't your typical bigs. They're all long and athletic and mobile. Um, but usually Murray feels comfortable isoing there. Jokic feels comfortable isoing there. But there's some things I'm going to talk about here in a second that um, – that the Lakers were kind of prepared for to make things even difficult after the switch. Jokic drew three quick fouls on JaVale McGee. And and I think this is by design. So one of the stories of this, the Lakers don't care if JaVale McGee fouls out. They don't care if Dwight Howard fouls out. Those two guys have 12 fouls to give on Jokic. And as a result, they are told to get extremely physical with him. Very, very physical, annoyingly physical with him hoping they can throw him off his game, and they did. Um, having those guys just kind of always have their hands on him, just do, doing the little things, and then when Jokic, you know, I'm going to talk about some of the like flopping or, or foul drawing that Jokic does, they were prepared for it, and they wanted to use those guys to kind of toe the line and find out what happens. And the first example of this was actually a Danny Green foul, of all people, first minute of the game. So you guys know, you guys have noticed the Jokic, Patrick Beverly referred to it as flailing. What happens, and you kind of have to see the video up on the DNVR to really get a sense for what what's going on here. Jokic on one play is walking down the court. He's at the three-point line. He's walking basically to the free-throw line. And Danny Green kind of gets in his way. They teach you this in high school, right? When a guy cuts through the lane, you chuck him. You give him a little elbow. At least they taught me back th this back in the 90s. I don't know if they still teach this anymore. But you chuck a guy. You put an arm on him. Well, Danny Green reaches out. Puts his arm across Jokic's chest as he's and by the way, when I say cut, I just mean walks down the court, like jogs down the court. And you know Jokic does this sometimes where a player will put their arm on him and Jokic will reach underneath the arm. The arm so the arm is going across Jokic's chest. Jokic will reach underneath curl up, grab the arm, pinning it, and then flail his arms up. It's like he's saying, hey, ref, look, this arm is stopping me from going to where I'm trying to go, and the only way to bring your attention to it is if I do this thing where I flail up. Well, he does it right off the bat. Danny Green gets called for a foul, and I slow this and put this in a slow motion to show everybody how it happens. In my opinion, this is a no-call in the playoffs, and I wish it would be a no-call. Jokic knows they like to call this, so he does this a lot, and to me it is akin to flopping in that it's like I wish they would take this out of the game, and I think if they did, Jokic would quit doing it. And Jokic's going to have to quit doing this anyway because, as I'm going to point out, the Lakers adjusted in the most annoying way possible that just flipped it on its head. But if you slow it down, what Danny Green does is grab Jokic, and what Jokic does is show the ref that he's grabbing him by grabbing his arm. Anyway, first play of the game, or one of the first plays, Danny Green gets blown a whistle for that. Now, why is this important? Because a little bit later on, you get examples of Dwight Howard doing this to Paul Millsap. They call a foul on Dwight Howard. JaVale McGee does this on Jokic. They do not call a foul on either guy, even though both guys do the exact same thing. Uh, and then there's later plays, including Jokic's third foul, which to me was where the game ended. Giving Jokic a third foul, especially off of some BS like this that gets called differently every time. And that, by the way, makes no difference on the play that is going on. Jokic picks up his third foul. And again, so you get a foul on the offense one time, a foul on the defense two times, and no calls and the exact same action two times. And oh, by the way, there was like another half dozen other times where there were just various, just different players involved in different – 
It, it was called different ways. And this is what I think is so frustrating. If you're a Nuggets fan, you're watching this and you're going, how do you call the, a, a team's best player so many fouls including one that sends him to the bench because I think he gets like three two or two or three of his five fouls came off of this this stupid thing how do you how do you call a foul off of him or on him and put him on the bench that completely changes the game and there's no question it changed the game the game was over by this by half it was 11 points at halftime it Denver has a lead when we're at this moment we're talking about so how do you call that foul I think if you're a Denver fan you're very annoyed but if you're a Laker fan I think rightfully you're annoyed that Jokic gets the call when he grabs somebody's arm and accentuates it because that too is like taking one minor misdemeanor and trying to turn it into a felony through, you know, flopping basically is what it is, you know, grabbing a guy's arm. So I think both fan bases look at these plays and go, what the heck is going on? The problem, in my opinion, is this is the NBA and this is the league they have created. If that was Damian Lillard or Steph Curry, it's an obvious foul. You can't put your arm across one of those guys' chests as they're walking around the perimeter. If that guy is 280 pounds and he's a center and a guard does it, or even if another big does it, they just say, oh, that's guys being physical inside or that's just – two bigs going at it. It's really annoying, but I get why the Lakers the Lakers clearly had scouted Jokic and knew his tendency on this and the uh, and were able to sort of point out to the refs and you can see it by the way in the film them talking to the refs, "Yo, watch this." And they kept putting his their arm on him softly for Jokic to fall into that trap. It's like they were setting a trap for Jokic to fall into and he fell right in. Um so I guess tip your hat to the Lakers on this, but it's something that I hope Jokic and Michael Malone and the coaching staff look at and say, "Hey man, here's a exactly what they're trying to do it doesn't matter if it's bs or not this is what they're trying to do and the refs are going to give it to him so you have to adjust as Jokic has to adjust and not go for some of those cheap little flails that he so often is able to get i just wanted to make that point so Another thing that they're doing is um, they're crowding Jamal Murray as he turns, especially driving towards the center of the court. They're fully stunting over. So you get the two bigs. If there's like a dribble handoff or a pick and roll, they're putting two guys on him early, and then the guard will switch back over to the big. But So he never like fully commits to the ball, but he commits enough that Murray can't kind of like uh, split the screen or anything like that. The big steps up, and then another third guard will stunt over to kind of completely wall off Jamal Murray from turning the corner there. And it, it's creating it, it's sort of taking them they're vulnerable for a split second if Denver can kind of adjust to it but the, it's clear that they view the Murray Jokic DHO game as the number one thing they're willing to sell out completely to stop even if it makes them a little bit vulnerable if you're able to break past that so another thing that kind of interesting to see how Denver responds to that Transition is a killer. I mean, this is the obvious stuff. The The Lakers are just so good in transition. I mean, LeBron James with a head of steam, uh, steam there's no stopping him. Anthony Davis rolling to the rim. Yoke, nobody on the Nuggets roster is going to elevate with him to kind of like keep him away from there if he has a lane towards the basket. Rim runs in transition. You know, got Dwight Howard. If he beats everyone down the court and is able to get in the paint, you can't really stop him. You almost just have to foul him at that point. So they have so many guys. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope hit two or three three-pointers all in transition. Um, and so the Lakers are just too good in transition to ever give them an opportunity. They're going to get opportunities naturally because they're so good. I mean, let's be honest here. Denver's an underdog in the series for a reason. The Lakers at their best, in my opinion, are better than the Nuggets at their best. But if you give the Lakers too many comfortable shots and comfortable transition plays, you have no chance in this one. And I thought in this game, Denver did a bad job both getting back after a set defense, there was one play in in this game. The Nuggets shoot a free throw, make it, 
and the Lakers get a fast break the other way. If ever there's a time for you to have your defense back, it's that. Um, Kyle Kuzma beat Paul Millsap one time on a, a dead ball. Um, there's just there's just a lot of times where Denver wasn't ready for how quickly the Lakers get the ball up the court, and maybe that's a function of you know they've been playing kind of slow lately so far uh, in the series. Denver's very good at uh, forcing the tempo in this game. I thought it was the Lakers' tempo more often than not, and Denver just wasn't prepared for it. Then of course the other side of this, Denver had 15 turnovers, which isn't you know like terrible. It's not completely egregious, although I think that number's a little bit low because there weren't many you know down the stretch of this game, but. Denver has to get control of those. A lot of the turnovers they had were um, things they can clean up. I think some of this is anytime you play a new team that, um, you know, two days rest, you go into a new team, it's completely different than the series you had before. You're just not reading the court quite as, as well as you should be. And I thought Monte Morris had some ugly ones. Jamal Murray had some ugly ones. Nikola Jokic had some ugly ones. So I expect that to get cleaned up a little bit. The thing is the Nuggets have to be perfect you know, on turnovers and in transition just to make this a competitive game. If you're not, you're going to get blown out, and Denver was far short of perfect in, in game one. Millsap is just getting absolutely murdered in isolation. It's just not against Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis, tip your hat to him. He's such a phenomenal player, such an unguardable, like, one-on-one -on -one player, when he, especially when he has a mismatch like that. You know, Jokic, not a good matchup for him. I don't think Paul Millsap – maybe Paul Millsap five years ago would have like put up a resistance, although not stopped him. He's too small. But right now he's just getting cooked, absolutely worked in, uh, in isolation, so much so that it makes me wonder if the Nuggets might adjust their lineup, including their starting lineup, before too long. I suspect Michael Malone will not do that in game two. Mike Malone just doesn't like to make adjustments, guys. He's always slow to adjust, especially things like a rotation. And um, I, I Look, they, they go to seven games a lot, but they win. So I don't think you can get too frustrated by it. But I would be shocked if Paul Millsap was able to contain uh, Anthony Davis in any capacity in this series. I think that's going to be a bloodbath. And then you look behind him and you go, okay, so who could you throw on him? Now, Paul Millsap has some of the size. I think he's, or I'm sorry, not Paul Millsap. Mason Plumley has some of the size and, and is an athletic guy, but he's going to foul the heck out of AD if he plays. I mean, I don't know how many minutes. If you were, if Mason Plumley played exclusively when Anthony Davis was on the court, I'd be shocked if Mason Plumley made it to 20 minutes. Uh, and again, just like with the Lakers, you don't worry about Mason Plumley fouling out, so maybe that's okay. Maybe you just do this by committee. But I don't know that Mason Plumley would be the answer there. Now, Jeremy Grant, maybe you know he's he's got some mobility. We haven't really seen it a lot, but he's the guy Denver's been using on LeBron James. So then you get a whole other question. I think Denver's going to have to get very creative with how they try to stop Anthony Davis. They just don't have anybody that can do it. But I do feel pretty confident saying it's not going to be Paul Millsap. Anthony Davis looked at Paul Millsap the way Jokic looked at Evita Zubats, just as a, if you guys are going to use this guy one-on-one -on -one against me, I'm going to score every single time, and uh, it's going to get ugly for you. Um, Anthony Davis at the five, they went to this lineup with about five minutes left in the first. So some of this is just the Lakers base rotation versus the Nuggets base rotation. The Nuggets love to play Jokic for the full 12 minutes. I think that, and we're going to get to Dwight here in a second, Dwight is the scariest matchup for me personally with Jokic, because I think that Dwight sort of 
has a lot of the tools to really frustrate Jokic and get a lot of those calls because he's just so strong and so much quicker and athletic than Jokic that uh, it, I, I think Dwight Howard's going to really get under Jokic's skin here. So I don't know that you're going to adjust Denver's lineup to pull Jokic out when AD goes to the five when I think AD at the five is maybe only the second scariest. This is what's so scary about the Lakers is they're so damn good. I, it's only the second scariest lineup for me. But nonetheless, they go to AD at the five. They go really small and um, it, that's as this series goes on, Denver sort of won the final five minutes of game one. I'm curious if they're going to continue to win that. And if so, how do they do it? How does Denver adjust? The first play, you know, they go to AD at the five and they give up an easy pick and roll layup. Rajon Rondo hits. I can't remember. It might have been KCP rolling. It might have been Markeith Morris. I can't remember. But they get a really easy pick and roll. Jokic is stretched out onto the top of the key because he's guarding Anthony Davis. There's nobody behind him and he gets a, it gets a nice one. And Paul Millsap was on the court for this because, again, Michael Malone has his rotation and that maybe isn't going to work going forward. What I suspect is when they go small, Denver is going to start to go small. They get a couple of quick buckets. Michael Malone calls a timeout. He comes back onto the court with an extremely small lineup. Michael Porter Jr. is at the four. I think Torrey Craig's at the three, and I like it. Jokic out on the court. So when Anthony Davis is the center, Jokic matches up on him, but Michael Malone, after two possessions, puts him in position to say, okay, we're going to go small too. And look, Anthony Davis is probably going to cook you personally and, and really score at will in that lineup. But the Nuggets are also – Anthony Davis has to guard you on the other side, and we're going to give you four outside players that can just act as threats. So I think that's going to be the adjustment going forward. You're going to see when LeBron checks out, Michael Porter's going to check in, and they're going to try to score a lot of points in that. And that's where – I think that's a lineup where Jokic has to be extremely aggressive on Anthony Davis, draw some fouls, make them – adjust. Anthony at the, Davis at the five is scary. When LeBron's not on the court, though, you can outgun it by making them say, okay, we can't ever do that. And if you do that, then you change up their entire rotation. There's a, a, a sort of chain reaction after that down the line of that that I think moves things in your advantage. Um... So one of the so here in the late in the first quarter, the Nuggets run that one five pick and roll or dribble handoff. I can't remember the Lakers switch and Jokic goes down into the post. So I haven't talked about how the Lakers defended this, just that they have some things up their sleeve. Well, what they did in the possession in the first quarter, um, I can't remember who it was. Maybe Rondo on on Jokic and and Anthony Davis out on Jamal Murray. Well, they sent Anthony Davis as a hard double team, and Jokic. Nobody moved on the backside. This is game one. It's first quarter. I think the Nuggets just kind of like reading, okay, how are they going to do this? Stagnant perimeter possession. Nobody cuts. Nobody really rotates. Kick out to Jamal Murray. He's not open. And they recover. But what's interesting is Anthony Davis doubles down. And then when the ball goes out, Rajon Rondo was the one that released. This is great defense. This is great defensive awareness. This is what having a lot of veterans allows you to do is – so Rondo's on Jamal Murray. You set that screen. Now Rondo gets switched on to, to Jokic. You pass the ball into Jokic. Anthony Davis doubles Jokic. Ball comes out to Murray. Rotations on the backside all move over. And Rondo rotates back into the corner, furthest man from the ball on the backside. So there ends up being three different switches on that possession. And they the point of the way that – and you'll see this on the, the list should you look at it, the video. The point is that they shut off the initial quick – action out of the pick and roll and then when they kick the ball out they rotate to to try to stop the backside you know kick it out pass 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 to the corner and get a shot now i think there's things denver can do to this 
Denver just has to get smart about how and when they cut, and the team has to be dialed in enough to know, okay, when this happens, now I have to be ready for it, and I have to go and attack it uh, in a very specific way. So um, it'll be interesting to see if Denver is able to sort of break that because, in theory, that plays into Jokic's hands quite a bit, but the Lakers are very smart. Um, they're go- it's going to be more complicated game of chess than it was with the with the Clippers. Um. Jokic rim running when Anthony Davis at center is, is also huge. There's just a lot of mismatch opportunities. So Markeith Morris, second biggest guy on the court, third biggest in those lineups is like Kyle Kuzma. It's going to be hard to you got to secure the rebound against those groups, those small ball groups. But if you get it, Jokic sprinting in transition, if he can get anybody other than Anthony Davis on him in transition, that's a win for the Nuggets. Go right to the block, go right to the rim, post up, and make them foul you. This is what I mean about when the Lakers go small, I think everybody thinks, oh, no, Anthony Davis at the center position, this is going to be tough. He's too quick for Jokic. Jokic is too big for all those other dudes. So try to see who which strength wins in those lineups is going to determine which team has to sort of blink first. Um, and, and like I said, Jokic was just absolutely – I thought he was phenomenal in that first quarter on the offensive end. And defensively, I thought he was fine. But offensively, just – incredible first quarter. It looked like he was on pace for a 40-point triple-double. I was so excited of it, but of course he gets two quick fouls in the second quarter and the rest is history. Um, I thought he was aggressive when needed. Jamal Murray drains a three to end the first quarter. I thought he was very good. Outside of a couple little mistakes, I thought he was very good offensively, and there's reason for optimism if you're the Nuggets just watching the first quarter offense because you think, okay, without any preparation for how the Lakers were going to guard them, Denver got the shots that they wanted and scored, what, 36 or 38 points? Points in the first quarter. If you score that many points in the first quarter, that means whatever resistance was going up against you wasn't all that great. So I think that was really good. In that second quarter, LeBron. So LeBron was at center. He kept hunting for Michael Porter Jr. in the second, and and he's going to hunt for him even more. Like if you go back, one of the things that's discouraging about this game is if you just look at the things the Lakers didn't have to do to win this game because they won this game comfortably, but they didn't really have to have LeBron score a bunch of points. They didn't really have to have LeBron hunt for Michael Porter and back him down or just all that stuff. They did it. They put him in the pick and roll, and um, they had some success, but they weren't necessarily like overdoing it. If they got late into a game and Michael Porter's on the court, they would overdo it because I think LeBron feels extremely confident going up against Michael Porter Jr. One way that they were beating Michael Porter, because Michael Porter will jump out on a ball screen. So if you bring Michael Porter guys, Michael Porter Jr. guys up to the to set a ball screen, Michael Porter jumps out with a hedge, very aggressive, and then um, what LeBron must have seen something in the film here because he split that every single time, either with a pass or with a dribble drive, and he just must have been so comfortable with where he was at. So one thing to kind of keep an eye on, and I'm sure the coaches are going to be hammering him, is, hey, LeBron sees when you step up, you just leave too much of a gap in the middle there, and they're really doing a good job of having the big slip into that pocket, and then it's a four-on-three, or LeBron just kind of splitting the the difference like a fullback coming through right right down the center of the line, busting everybody off of them, and then breaking into the open field. That's that's kind of what happened in this game. Um, Mason Plumlee, good as he is defensively, he just does some weird stuff sometimes, and it costs big. On this one play, Markeith Morris is wide open open on the three-point line. That's who he's guarding in transition. LeBron James is trying to post up Michael Porter Jr. on one block. 
he does not even have the ball. They're still dribbling it up. Mason Plumlee runs all the way over to LeBron, all the way like 20 feet away from his man to double LeBron before LeBron even catches the ball in the post. So the point guard just skips the ball open to Markeith Morris, shooting 44% from three on the season, and hits him perfectly in the pocket for a jumper. And you just think, Mason, LeBron in the post is very good, but a wide-open 44% three-point shooter is worth three points, and it's almost a lock that he'll make it. What a gamble. And it just doesn't – it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But Mason Plumlee does that kind of stuff, you know, frightening frequency. Jokic checks back in with like 10 – I mean, he only got a couple three-minute rest, I think. He checks back in, and so does Dwight Howard. And this was the matchup I have been afraid of. Uh, I think Dwight Howard, while, you know, long in the tooth and past his prime, is very good defensively and specifically against a player kind of like Jokic. Jokic is just so big, he can kind of like – muscle guys well you can't really muscle Dwight you can't really shoot over Dwight he just jumps too high he's too you know he can block a lot of shots and most of all Dwight Howard is playing with house money he doesn't have to play a ton of minutes he doesn't have to worry about any of his fouls so he can get physical he can toe the line and this is what I I, I mean I'm sure the coaching staff told JaVale and Dwight hey Want you to get physical, don't worry about fouls, get as close to fouling every second you're on the court without actually fouling as you can get. And Jokic just mentally, I don't think, was prepared for this. And Dwight just, again, putting hands on him nonstop, trying to draw Jokic into doing some of that stuff, and he was successful with it. And I, to me, this is the number one concern. I'm curious to see what happens in game two with those guys specifically. I'm also curious to see if the Lakers try to play Dwight earlier or what have you. You know, they stuck. I was talking to some guys um, Laker Film Room, who I think is a great analyst, talking to him yesterday just briefly, he said, yeah, that's you know, that's the Lakers' regular rotation. And I think it's smart because the first unit, as much as Denver was up at the first quarter, it was 38-36, they were up two. Sometimes you don't adjust to what's working if you think like, okay, well, we know this pocket in the second quarter, we can blow the doors off of them or we can really put some pressure on them. Let's not change that and make that the starting lineup. Instead, let's just bring it in once they're already fatigued and have Dwight just put body blows on Jokic, and it worked beautifully. If I were the Lakers, I wouldn't change anything up. Even though I would count on Dwight Howard playing more minutes than a JaVale McGee, I still would start it and kind of rotate it the exact same way. Um, another thing that happened in the second quarter, so it's kind of weird. I mean, Denver, they get 25 free throws in that quarter. Denver just, the wheels fell off, I think, mentally. There was, I have some, I didn't want to make the list, like, with too many of these stupid foul, foul calls, but there were two that were, besides the Jokic one, which I talked about earlier, but there was two other ones that were just so, so egregious that I slowed them down into super slow-mo so you can kind of see exactly what was or was not happening in this play. But nonetheless, they get all of those free throws, and Denver's only down 11 going into the, into the half. Two other things happened in that quarter. Markeith Morris gets two wide-open three-pointers. He drains them both. Michael Porter Jr. gets two wide-open three-pointers. He misses both. Now, I know you can't reduce basketball this way. It's a make-or-miss league. But if you just swapped those two things, Denver is actually up at the half. Again, I know you can't do this, but it just goes to show that how much, like, as bad as that quarter went for Denver, Denver was just, uh, what really should have happened is Markeith should have hit one, and, and, I mean, they're both, like, 40% three-point shooters, so Markeith should have hit one, Michael Porter should have hit one, and now you go, okay, it's like a five- or six-point game going into the uh, into the half, and for as disastrous as that was for Denver, five or six points wouldn't have been that bad. Eleven points, it was right on the edge of where the rope, you know, Denver was getting ready to lose hold of that rope. 
Um, Monte Morris really struggled, I thought, reading the pick and roll in this game. And part of that is, again, the way the Lakers are defending it is so different than how Utah or the Clippers defended it. So not too surprising that Monte and, and some of these other guys weren't reading the court that great. But it's something to keep an eye on. If Monte Morris is – this is a very athletic team, a very long team, a very physical team. Monte Morris, the smallest and, and shortest and kind of weakest guy on the team. So it'll be interesting to see if he can if, – if this is just a game one problem or if this is a series problem and maybe there's going to be an issue there for Denver. Um, Lakers run the bonus with nine minutes to go. There was a ton of atrocious turnovers. If we forget the fouls for a second, Denver opens this quarter with six or seven turnovers in a row and, again, just kind of wilting under the pressure – um, that the Lakers had as a basketball player you know there's moments even as a fan watching this one you know I was on tilt watching it this is why I didn't want to tweet anything throughout the whole games I'm like I'm gonna say something dumb the players were playing on tilt and that resulted in turnovers it resulted in fouls and it resulted in the team just getting like really really frustrated and it was all of that in that second quarter. I think the f- second quarter film room for the Nuggets is going to be tough to watch. Um, but the Nuggets battled. That that quarter, as much as they were frustrated, defensively just on the edges, they tried to battle as hard as they could, and that's why it was only 11. If you didn't see a score and you just watched that quarter, you would have guessed the quarter ended with the Lakers up 20. That's how it felt. The fact that the Lakers were able to only be, you know, uh, or the Nuggets were able to hold within 11, I think, was quite a win. And they almost had it to like six or seven. I think Lakers scored like two times in the last 40 seconds to push it to 11 it was almost almost like a single digit game um and then the third quarter they're just going to have to be better against Dwight I talked about Mason Plumlee let me tell you let me tell you one lineup they started Dwight by the way in that second half let me here's a lineup I think and this is insane but I want to put this out there because often when I say things like this the lineups end up getting run on like game four or five and they end up working I'm curious about this lineup Jamal Murray at point Nikola Jokic at center okay how do you surround him what if you had Michael Porter at the two, Jeremy Grant at the three, Mason Plumley at the four? Now, the reason I like this lineup specifically, it would be against the Dwight Howard minute. The Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, LeBron James minutes, which I think is what they're probably going to close with and play a lot of their minutes with. And it's the, the lineup Denver's most vulnerable to. Your wings out there are going to be some combination of KCP, Rondo, um, Caruso, and Danny Green. None of those guys you're worried about beating you off the dribble. Those aren't dribble drive guys. Those aren't pick and roll geniuses. I mean, Rajon Rondo is very good, but he's a guy that, especially in today's day and age, you can guard. Can Michael Porter play the two against those guys? There's no Donovan Mitchell out there. There's no Lou Williams. Are they going to be able to switch LeBron onto him? Yes, but they're going to do that no matter what. And we've already talked about Paul Millsap not being very useful in this series. So if you have MPJ, you know, Jamal Murray 6'5", MPJ 6'10", 6'11". You got Jeremy Grant, you know, 6'9", but super, super long. You got Mason Plumlee 7 feet, Jokic 7 feet. At least you match the Lakers' size. You get a, as much as one of your most athletic lineups you can place on the court. And then I just, I, if they end up hunting LeBron James versus um, Michael Porter Jr., in a lineup in which they already have mismatches other places on the court anyway, I just don't know that that's a loss. And then offensively, Mason Plumlee's going to grab some some boards for you, but he's also just a big body to go up against their big bodies. You get Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Jamal Murray around Jokic. I just I that might be the golden lineup for Denver in this series. Um, again, Denver's going to play as an underdog. I worry that this series, um, you know, Denver is is a little bit over their head against this Lakers team. But we knew that coming in. Nobody expected, you know, very very few people expected Denver to kind of get the Lakers on their heels in this series. If they win, it's going to be a, a dog fight, and I think you might have 
have to try some different things and really look at this is such a different team from what you've played in so many different ways. It's going to require a different version of yourself, in my opinion, to beat them. So my overarching takeaway is that the Nuggets... Um, we don't get a ton of data points from this game because of how it unfolded, but the Nuggets do have some things they can kind of look at and say, okay, we got to prepare a little bit better for this game, and in particular the fouls. The Jokic it just especially has to be smarter about what it is the Lakers are trying to trick him into doing and how he fell into that trap in game one. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Going to be back again tomorrow, hopefully from the Winner's Lounge, but over with the rest of the guys, bring them back in tomorrow to recap game two. We'll see you all then.